Father, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that you give to us, Lord, to come into your house as a people, to worship you and to praise you and to love you and to stand in your presence. You're a holy God. You're a righteous God. You're a just God. And we thank you for this moment that we have to share the word of God. And we pray, Lord, that your heart would pass through my lips to your people, to your church, that, Lord, we might be encouraged this morning in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'd like to preach to you for a few minutes on the subject, when the storm is raging, don't forget who loves you. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 116. And in the first verse, the psalmist says these words, I love the Lord. Because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he's inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. I wrote a little note and I said, someone will listen. And that someone is always the Lord. And the psalmist said, I love the Lord. What does that mean? To me it means... I thank God from where he brought me. I thank God that I came from point A to point B 45 years ago. I thank God that I traded my dependency on myself to put my dependency upon him. The key to life is to become dependent upon God. Human beings want to depend upon themselves. We want to figure out all of life's questions. We want to sit down with a piece of paper and a pen and put 10 things down on a piece of paper on how to solve our problems. But if you bypass God and his word, your problems will never be solved. It's about attitude. Attitude always reflects altitude. When you have a bad attitude, you're low altitude. When you have a good attitude, your altitude skyrockets. Can you say this morning, I love the Lord? Can we really say, I love the Lord? Because he's inclined his ear toward me. What does it mean to love the Lord? I can talk with him. I can cry out to him. I have such a history with God listening to me and speaking to me that I would... Every moment of my life, I could say, Lord, this is where I am. I can be in a low moment, or I can be in a high moment. I can be crying and in sorrow, or I can be in joy, rejoicing. It doesn't matter. Because he will listen. I love the Lord so much, I will not let him out of my life. This is what we call loyalty. You know, loyalty is missing in the world. Loyalty is gone. Loyalty to the the team that you play for. Oh, I think I'll go over here because I can make more money. Loyalty in marriage. Loyalty in friendship. Loyalty in relationships. We trade in loyalty for selfishness and self-dependency. I want. I'm the king. Give to me. Soothe me. Comfort me. You owe me. And the psalmist says, wait, wait, love the Lord and things will happen for you. Love the Lord. You know, I love the Lord because I can wake up in the morning and I can empty the dishwasher. I love the Lord because I can wake up and put some dishes in the sink and wash them. I love the Lord because I can have dinner with my wife or watch a movie with her. What do you say, Pastor? You love the Lord. I love the Lord because He gives me life today. He gives me the gift today to look into the eyes of people and say, I love you and I care about you. Think about that for a moment. Most people never say, I love you to each other. We take it for granted. It's like a church I preached in many, many years ago in the South. I challenged the men of the church as an evangelist to go home and tell their wives that that they love them. And so I went into the parsonage where I was preaching and staying for that week with my wife. And the teenage son is sitting on the couch and he says to his dad, Well, go ahead, dad. Do what the evangelist said. Come on, dad. 
And you know what the dad responded as the pastor of that church? Well, I told you, mother, 25 years ago I loved you, and that should be sufficient. Wow. Why would I want to stay with a man like that? Why would I want to go to a church that he pastors? When he doesn't love his wife and tell her daily. How much more should we tell the Lord daily that we love him? He gave you breath this morning. He woke you up this morning. You did not start your heart this morning. He woke you. He put breath in your lungs. He gives you vision and hearing. He gives you the ability to walk and to talk and to comprehend. He gives you the ability to love if we so desire to do that. Amen. The psalmist said, the sorrows of death come past me and the pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. You know why I love the Lord? Because I need him. Do you know why I love the Lord? The psalmist is saying is because I want him. You know, in the old black church, we used to sing that song. In the prison church, trouble comes my way. We've sung that song hundreds of times in this church. You know, Matt, no matter who you are this morning, trouble's going to come your way. I said trouble's going to come your way. What are we going to do when trouble comes our way? We can say like this. Psalmist said, the sorrows of death can pass me. Trouble has come my way. It comes so severely, it feels like death. It feels like my life is being taken from me. It seems like I'm going down and I'll never recover. It feels like there's a a force in my life and I can't defeat it by myself. It's a monster. It's a giant. And it's got a hold of me. And it's trying to take me down. It's trying to drown me in the sea of life. Lord, I love you because I need your help. I love you because I want you this morning. It's like a person struggling in raging waters who, who thinks he's going to drown. All he can do is depend upon God for the outcome. Because the outcome seemingly seems like death. Have you been there? It's like a boxer in a ring. He gets his bell rung. His legs get like rubber. His arms fall to his sides. His eyes go back into his head. And he has no clue where he is right now. He's listening for a bell. He's hoping to hear a bell. He's hoping to get back to his corner and sit in a stool for at least a moment and say, where am I and what's going on? It's like you can't find yourself. It's like waking up in the middle of the night in darkness. Wondering. Not being able to focus with your eyes and saying, well, where am I? And you look for the first thing in that room that you can identify to make you think that you are in that room where you were last night when you went to bed. I'm sure that's happened to you. You begin to identify thinking things in the room and it's dark and you see the lamp and you see this. And then you look over and you see your wife. And you know you're still home. You know you're still there. Sometimes God finds us in the ocean of life. But he comes and he whispers to you and he says, the tide will change. The tide will change. The tide that looks like it's drowning you is the same tide that it will bring back out to the sea. The course of your life is in his hand. Your hope is in his hand. Your destiny is in his hand. And God says, you will end up praising me. And you'll end up exalting me for my goodness and my mercy. But sometimes you don't see it at the moment. You don't see destiny. You don't see providence. You don't see the hand of God working. You don't see the Shunammite woman. You don't see the oil in the jar that's already been empty. You don't see it. You see Lazarus in the tomb, but you, you don't see Lazarus coming forth. Come on, you see John on the Isle of Patmos, but you don't see the revelation that he received. Because the sea is drowning you. And troubles come your way. And seemingly sometimes no one listens or no one really cares. And that's what the psalmist was going to say here in a moment. 
Because the deceptive lie of the enemy says, your God doesn't care. People don't care. Your family doesn't care. And your friends don't care. More of that later. The psalmist said these words in verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. He's going through a hard time. It feels like death is overwhelming him. But he says, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. Have you ever been brought low? Have you ever been brought to the knees of life? Holding on to the altar and crying and shuddering. Your body just vibrating. Holding on for dear life. Like a man in the ocean, holding on. They said when President Bush got shot down in his plane many years ago, the one that passed, he was in the sea for four hours on a raft. Four hours. And finally, a boat came to bring him on board. You know, that's how we feel sometimes. We feel like we're in the sea for four hours. Come on. And all we can see is ocean, and storms, and winds, and torrents, tempests. And we've all been there when we've said, God, are you there? I need you so badly. I'm so boxed in. I'm being harassed. It's like torture. My mind has no ease. My heart is heavy. My soul is in despair. He says, I will preserve you. I looked up the word preserve in the Hebrew. This is how much God cares about you this morning. No matter where you are in life and what you're going through, the word preserve means to hedge about with thorns. It means to guard or to protect. It means to attend to and to be aware of and to observe, to be the watchman. You know what that means? That God fences you in. In the middle of that storm, in the middle of that trouble. You see, we don't see it sometimes. But the word of God tells me that he preserves me. That he builds a fence around me with thorns. And he says to the enemy of my soul, you can only go so far like he spoke in the days of Job. And he said, you can only go so far. I will pull that hedge from my servant. I will pull my hedge from that righteous preacher. I will pull that hedge for a moment. But don't you dare think you'll slay him. Because I have built a hedge around him. Our pastor used to call it the bloodline. He said, if a devil can get through the bloodline, he's a saved devil. If a demon can get through the bloodline, then he's going to be a saved demon. The bloodline is around us. The fence is around us. He hedges us in. And I know it's hard to see sometimes because we've all been there. When trouble comes our way and it seems like death compasses us. It seems like we're eating seaweed. It seems like we're going down for the last time. It seems like we're in the boxing ring and we got our bell rung and the referee is calling those numbers and we can't seem to get up. Come on. But there's something on the inside of you, my friend. Hallelujah. That says, get up. There's something on the inside of you that says, you're not out for the count. There's something on the inside of you that says, stand up and be of good courage and fear not. There's something on the inside of you that says, as I was with Moses, as I was with Joshua, I will be with you all the days of your life. Praise God, no matter where you go with the Lord. We're in a fight. The enemy wants to put a chokehold on you and take the very breath out of your life. And anytime you want to make an advance for God, people will come against you. The demon spirits will come against you. 
Loved ones will come against you. People will not be on board with you. But guess what? This preacher will go forward in the name of Jesus Christ until I take my last breath. I want to do the will of God. And God has given me a vision. Praise God. Soon to be 71 years old. However long I have on this earth, I'm going to pound the beat. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Come hell or high water. Hallelujah. And have courage with God. Hallelujah. God is on time. God is arranging circumstances. God is a God of providence and a God of destiny. My wife and I watched the film last night based on a true story that took place in Nantucket in Massachusetts about a woman that was engaged to a man. And he was a dud. He was a real dud. I don't know how a woman can get involved with duds. And all he cared about was working his cell phone. All he cared about was himself. I got to take this call. I got to take this call. And all she wanted was some attention. He gave her an engagement ring like, you know, hey, listen, will you marry me? Oh, boy, that was a great proposal. And he slipped the ring on her. She didn't really want the ring. She knew in her heart. There's something not right here. So she went to visit her aunt, make a long story short. And while she was visiting her aunt, she was into antiques, this woman. And her aunt said, let's go send you to this place where there's antiques. It's a famous place in Massachusetts. And it's there today. And she went to look at the antiques. And as she got off the plane and came to this place, This man picked her up, a taxi cab, and the taxi broke down. Make a long story short again. And there was a man standing there. And you could tell. When I looked at my wife-to-be 43 years ago, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you will marry her within a year. I got married to her nine months later. I knew that I knew that I knew that this was the lady that God sent me. He'd just know it. And this man appeared because the taxi was broken down and this man in the town was sitting, standing there. And he came and he said to the taxi, can I help you? That first look, that first glance, you see love. There's a connection. How is this going to work out in terms of providence and destiny? This was based on a true story. The true story is this. They started to stay together for a day or two, going to antique shops and drinking coffee and chocolate, hot chocolate. And she had to leave to go back to work. And you could tell at the airport, the look, the look is worth a thousand words sometimes. It could be a look of love or a look of hate. It could be a look that says, I care. Or it could say, it's a look that says, you're really bothering me. You're putting me out. What look do we have this morning? And she left. And she went back home to make another long story short. She broke off the engagement because she knew in her heart it was the wrong thing. This man who owned this inn who restored this famous place, it's there today, had an older woman working for him. And she prompted him, like a mother, I saw love. I saw how you looked at each other. You see, how do we look at God this morning? Is it with the same love? Is it with the same look? Or is it duty? Is it obligation? Do we look at our wives and our husbands and our children and our friendships? Do we look at them with the same love? Or is it duty? What can you do for me? You make me happy when you do for me. Do I make you happy when I don't do for you? Am I still loved? Am I still cared for? 
This woman said, there's love here. What did he do? He made the move. And they fell in love. And they got married. And today, that place is in Massachusetts as I speak. And the whole movie was based on providence and destiny. Listen, God gives us choices. And sometimes when we come to the crossroads, he shows us the choice. And if your heart is not at peace with the choice, then don't make that choice and don't go that way. Amen. Don't please people. Don't please your parents. Don't please your pastor. Don't please your best friend. Please God. Because God will line up the order of events in your life to bring you to the place where He wants you to be brought to. And when we make the wrong choice, we create our own storm and our own trouble. And it's not that God isn't able to get us out of that storm and out of that trouble. But boy, you're going to pay the price for making a wrong decision. You're going to pay the price as if you made the right choice. The psalmist is writing these words down because he's in the boxing ring and he's in trouble. He's hurting. And he speaks these words as God speaks and he says, Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. What's he saying? Is it possible to return to the rest of my soul? Is it possible to get peace again? Is it possible to get God's serenity? Is it possible that I can feel God's love and know, even though I'm in this midst of trouble and in this sea and in this ocean, drowning seemingly, can my soul be restored? Come on. We've all been there in life. We've sat in those dark moments of life and in those dark places. And we said, Lord, is this the end? Will I be restored? Will I get up one more time? Will I be able to participate in life the way I would like to? Tell me, Lord, that I can return unto my rest. This is the result of God seeing us through. You see, sometimes we bail out and we give up. Sometimes we wave the white flag. But God is saying, I will return rest to your soul as a result of his grace and a result of his mercy. Not because we deserve it but because grace and mercy will flow from the shores of heaven. The Lord deals with us through affliction and through trouble sometimes, and we hate it. But the psalmist said this in Psalm 119 and verse 71, It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. What kind of psalmist is that that says, It's good that I, trouble comes my way. It's good that I've been afflicted. What kind of man is saying this? A man of God. A man of God who made wonders, who created his own troubles, who committed adultery, who killed the husband of the wife he slept with, brought a baby into the world that died, covered it up for a year. You can cover up your stuff. I said, You can cover up your stuff. Come on, preach. But if we don't come to the altar and say, God, forgive me and help me to overcome my stuff, God will reveal it to the congregation and it will reveal it to the world. It's better to come to God and say, God, I give up. I can't deal with this anymore. It's overwhelming than to run and hide somewhere. Amen. It's time to man up. It's time to woman up. It's time to teach our kids to tell the truth. 
It's time to raise the standard in our families. It's time to teach our children and our grandchildren and our friends what love is all about. What patience is about. What friendship is about. What loving God is all about. And sometimes we create our own messes. And then on top of it, we get mad at God. Why did you let this happen? Oh, God says, hey, listen, you're not a puppet on a string. I gave you free choice, man. I gave Adam and Eve free choice. They weren't puppets on a string. God isn't looking for puppets. He's looking for people that will love him. He's looking for people that will obey him. He's looking for loyalty. He gets his act together for a moment in verse 8. And he says, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. Oh, David was in trouble a lot of times on the battlefield. And he could have been knocked off, but God spared him. And he said, For thou hast delivered my soul from death and mine eyes from tears and my feet from falling. How many times when we're not even aware of in the course of a day that God is protecting us? That the angels of God go before us, protecting our children, watching out for us. He says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. You know what David is saying? I have a choice right now. Yes, I'm in trouble. Yes, it's the sea that's got about me. It's like the, the rages of sea and the rages of death are upon me. But you know what? I'm going to be a good witness in the land of the living. I'm going to do what I need to do. You see, it's easy when your pockets are full. It's easy when the cupboards are full. It's easy when the mortgage is paid. It's easy when the car is running well. It's easy when the toaster isn't broken down. It's easy when the washing machine is working correctly. It's easy. Or when you go out early in the morning and you go to work and there's a flat tire and you know you're going to be late for work. When you have all these expectations of a day And something happens that throws your train off the railroad tracks. Are we going to be a witness? I said, are we going to be a witness? Are we going to scream and yell at everybody? Have a bad attitude with people? And show that side that's uncaring and unloving without affection. Hear me. Here's what David believed. He said, I believe, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. He admits it. I'm in trouble. But look what he said in his haste. And I said in my haste, all men are liars. You know what he was saying? People are lying to me about restoring my soul. He's indicting those around him for the trouble that's come his way that was ordained by God and predestined by God. And he's allowing that seducing spirit of lying to come to him and say, nobody cares. All men are liars. No one's going to be there for me. You see, one of the greatest fears of old age is being forsaken. I've witnessed that numerous times in life, even in my own family. Well, they put you somewhere. Will they forget you? It's kind of like the gravy train's over. Can't do nothing for me. Will they leave you to die? I saw that. I watched it. It's a fear. It's the enemy that comes to you and he says, You'll become a burden. You'll be a burden. And nobody likes a burden because life is so busy and people are so into themselves they won't have time to take care of you as an old man or as an old woman. Think about it. It happens every day. Go visit a nursing home. Go visit a nursing home. My mother lived with us for five years. 
she broke her hip and we could no longer give her 24-hour care and put her in the best nursing home in town. I visited her at least three times a week. The head nurse said to me, Fred, you don't have to come every day. It's my mother. But I would go down the hallways and I would look in. I remember one lady I stepped in. I believe my wife was with me. She was sleeping. She woke up and we led her to the Lord. I walked into another room and she thought it was her son. And I played along with it. Mom, how are you doing? It's good to see you today. How are you feeling? Did you eat today? But I would watch in those rooms no one visiting. Come on. I would watch people not caring to come and visit someone that loved them, breastfed them, nursed them, changed their diaper. We're busy. And it's easy to fall into the lie of that seducing spirit that no one will care. It's easy. We say it every day. If you listen to yourself speak, he don't care. My boss don't care. The people I work with don't care. And we say it. And David is saying this. I said in my haste, we have to be careful. Because we sometimes speak out of turn. We sometimes speak out of turn and say things that we shouldn't say or do things we shouldn't do. And there goes the love of God for the person we're dealing with. Have you been there? Have you been to the place where death compassed you? Divine intervention comes. And this is God's care at its best. David thought no man cared for his soul. God cared as did many others who surrounded his life. But he didn't see team. He didn't see it at the moment. And sometimes we're so busy in life that we don't see team. We don't see unity. Come on. We just see ourselves as a grain of sand on the beach. Thinking. No one really cares for me. We die in our own loneliness. We die in our own isolation. I have this conversation many times with my wife. And I say, why is it so hard to overcome the walls of a person's heart? How long can we build walls? Is it going to be till the day we die? How long is it going to take for someone to penetrate into the ventricles of your spiritual heart and make contact so that you can feel friendship, so that you can feel love, so that you can feel relationship? We medicate ourselves. We isolate ourselves. We have escape mechanisms, defense mechanisms, and we make excuses and we make ourselves believe that this is okay. And we build walls and we're afraid of life. We're afraid of people. We're afraid that if someone gets to know me, they might not like me. Why is it so difficult to love? Why is it so difficult to have friendship? Why is it so difficult to have relationship? We build these walls of brick and mortar and iron and steel. And we talk surface nonsense. That amounts to nothing. And at the end of the day, we say to ourselves, what was that about? What was that conversation about? Where's the spirituality? Where's the verses? Where's the prayers? Where's our longing for God? If we lose that, we lose our church. We lose our Christianity. I sent you out an article. 100 churches a week are dying and closing in America. 1,800 ministers a month are leaving the ministry. We are in a quandary in America. And what we have here is special. And if we don't preserve it, we'll lose it. And our children and our grandchildren will have nothing to come to. Attitude. Operating image. David pulled himself together and 
He said, wait a minute, there's got to be people surrounding me that care about me. There has to be people that surround me and love me. I'm not doing this on my own. You can't do life by yourself. You can't beat any problem that you have right now by yourself. You're fooling yourself. The devil has already seduced you into thinking. I can get through this. I can deal with this. I can handle this. No, you can't. And until we get honest, until we get real, a real man is real. Until we get real, we will never solve our problems. God is the solutionist. God is the problem solver. God is the healer. There's nothing outside of God that even compares to him this morning. Verse 12, he says, okay, I got him, Lord. I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm believing some lies. There are people who care. Then he turns his attention back to God and he says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? You see, now he's changing his tune. He's changing his whole attitude. He's getting away from the moment of death. He's getting away from the raging sea and the winds and the tempest and the storm. And he's focusing back on God. You know, when my girls played basketball, I always told them, if you're on the rim, you're in the game. What does that mean? Hey, listen, I played basketball for many years. I played all kinds of sports. I remember one time, I was like 0 for 20 as a guard. And the enemy kept saying, don't shoot, don't shoot, you stink. But you know what? After a while, they got to fall. I said, after a while, if you keep hitting the rim, it's gotta, you got to just push yourself up a little bit higher. You got to jump a little bit higher. You got, you got to make up the difference. As long as you're on the rim, you're in the game, my friend. I said, as long as you're on the rim, you're in the game. And it's the same way in the spirit of God. And it's the same way in the kingdom of God. As long as we're on God's rim, hallelujah, the basket's got to fall. We might not make every basket, but praise God, hallelujah, he'll bring us through and he'll bring us through the victory. Amen. What should I render for the benefits have you thought about the benefits today? Come on. Hmm. What's the benefits? It's how God treats you. It's how He rewards you. He woke you up this morning. Yes. This is not a religious event. This is supposed to be a religious experience. Amen. I'm not here out of duty. I didn't wake up this morning and, and come to church. Out of duty and obligation, I came because I, I need help from God. I came be- I want to see my family. I came here for love. I, I came here for comfort. I came here to get fenced in. Hallelujah. I came to a safe place. I, I came to a sacred tabernacle. Come on. Hallelujah. I didn't come to be bored. My wife and I flip through the channels before we went to bed last night and I see this famous preacher preaching. And I looked over and my wife said, look at his wife on the armchair of a chair. She's looking at her cell phone. One of the biggest ministries in the world and the preacher's wife is on a cell phone. I recorded it. I said, you're kidding. Is it that boring? Is it no longer a labor of love? Is it let's fleece the people and get their money? Is that what it is? Send those checks and offerings? Send your tithe? What's happened to us in the church? What's happened that we've lost our passion and our compassion? That we have forgotten the benefits of God? Amen. Come on. I hear so many people complain about what they don't have. Instead of rejoicing about what you do have. You know the fact that you can complain? 
says that God gave you life. Amen. The fact that you can even complain means that your heart's still beating. The fact that you can complain means that God put breath in your lungs. Think about it. David's coming to himself and he's saying, wait a minute, I'm blessed. Psalm 8, 68, verse 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loaded us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. It's kind of like in the old western days when they pulled up to the hardware store, to the feed store. And they went in and bought their goods, sacks of flour and sugar. The wagon was loaded down. This is what God is saying. I load you down every day and you don't even realize it. Who was homeless last night here? Who went without three meals at least yesterday? Who slept in the cold last night? Who walked here like they did in the early days in the early church when they walked five miles to come to church and start to pot belly stove so people could be warm in the church? We came in our cars and what an effort. What an effort. To get into our cars. What an effort to come to a warm church. We complain. Gotta drive to church? But we'll drive three hours to go to a concert. We'll drive two hours to go to a good restaurant. And we don't even think nothing of it. But we forget the benefits of God every day. That we can put our socks on. That we can put our shoes on. That we can put our pants and our dresses on. That we can brush our teeth. That we can see like my God. Come on. <clears throat> Psalm 103 verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Amen. I have a lot of gratitude this morning. I know I've said this and I've said it before in my sermon. For me to wake up in the morning and empty the dishwasher for my wife or do some dishes or straighten up is a privilege. Mm-hmm. To hold her hand, to have dinner, to go to a movie, to just sit and talk about God, about Jesus, reminisce, have a lot of gratitude. My dad, the Valentine's Day before he died, I still have the letter in my desk. 86 years old, wrote my mother a love letter. Put a check in there for $300 because he was dying in bed. A generous man, hardworking, took a lot of hits, but took time with paper and pen to write my mother a love letter. He appreciated breath, he appreciated life. He said, Freddie, I've lived a good life. I have no regrets. He was waiting. It's like he could see the angels at the foot of his bed. It's like he was entertaining them. Knowing that he was going to be with the Lord. The psalmist said, I'll take the cup of my salvation and I will call upon the name of the Lord. It don't matter what I'm going through. I got my resolve back. I got my fight back. I got my courage back. It doesn't matter. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. What form of thanks did David give to the Lord? He says, I will take the cup of salvation. In other words, I will lift up this cup and I will declare victory, victory, victory. It is finished. Victory in Jesus. We can't go down. We can't be defeated. 
We might be down 21 nothing at halftime. But we could come out and still win. I saw that yesterday. Georgia against Alabama. I don't particularly care for Alabama. I wanted Georgia to win. Up by two touchdowns. Their star quarterback on, on Alabama goes out with an ankle injury. And they bring in this young man that was benched by the coach because he couldn't throw. Benched. No one else to turn to. Had to put him in the game. Down by two touchdowns. He brought his team to victory. And that kid makes some throws. I had to tip my hat to him. I said, Lord have mercy, where did this guy come from? And Georgia lost the game. Up by two touchdowns. And they lost the championship game. You see, you might be down right now by two touchdowns. But I tell you what, there's somebody coming off the bench. And it's the power of God and it's the Holy Spirit. And if you just get a hold of yourself for a moment, and don't look at all the wagon trains that are surrounding you, but stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And as God said, as I was with Moses and as I was with Joshua, so will I be with you, whithersoever thou goest. And if we could only see who's coming off that bench, if we could only see he who keeps those planets from colliding, he who keeps the sun and the moon in the sky, praise God. If we could only see the angels that surround us in the heavenlies, we will know that we have victory and we can place our cup into salvation and say, victory is mine, victory is mine. He says, I will raise that cup and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will praise Him and I will pray to Him even in my time of struggle and trouble. Don't forget who loves you. Praise the Lord. And He says, I will pay my vows, which means I will keep my promises that I made to God. Keep your vows. I say, keep your vows. Amen. Keep your vows. Because when we break promises to God, it's serious business. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Come on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. David said, I will keep my vows. I will keep my promises. And then he said something in verse 15 that kind of threw me off for a moment. He said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Wait a minute. What are you talking about here, Lord? I was just telling you that death was encompassing me, that that the sea was raging and, then, and, and the ocean was coming against me. What is this word you're giving me? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints? Do you want me to die? Is it over? Is this the last psalm I will write? Is this what God was saying? No, absolutely not. You know what the word precious means? It means valuable. Excellent, honorable. It's a a precious stone or jewel. You know what God was saying? In the Living Bible it says this. His loved ones are very precious to him and he does not lightly let them die. He will fight for you. Even when you think you're on the brink of death, you know what? I learned one thing from my mother. The human body is so resilient. Come on. It refuses to die. 35 congestive heart failures. You think she would die? Broken hip, broken leg. That's how we got her. Received her. And time and time again, I lived in the emergency room. Time and time again doctors shook their head and looked at me 
I remember the last time that happened. Dr. Connors, female doctor. I knew them all. My mother was laying in the bed. And Dr. Connors looked at me and went like this, shaking her head. It's over. I walked out of the room. I walked down the hallway with tears coming down my cheeks. And a few moments later, I heard this voice say, Freddie! Freddie! I walked back into that room and Dr. Connors looking at me like this. I said, you know what, Doc? I'll know when my mom's passed when I preach her funeral and I put her in the ground. Until then, praise God, hallelujah, she's still hacking. Freddie! Freddie! Amen. You know what God's saying? I'll fight for you. Don't throw the towel in. Stay in the game. Stay in the ring. Don't quit. Be a fighter. Get in there. Don't let the enemy defeat you. Our pastor always taught us this. Never let the opponent know you're in trouble. Never let the enemy know you're in trouble. Just keep on keeping on. What's God saying? He says, I'm in control of death. Everything is taken care of by God. He orchestrates our life because he woke up from death and because he lives, we shall live forever. God delivers my soul from death. But until I take my last breath, he's saying it's not over until it's over. And then it's not over because eternal life begins to kick in forever. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The Bible says, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Amen, amen. Thank you, And God shall wipe away all tears, and there shall be no more death, and no more sorrow, neither crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. But until then, Jude said this, and it reminds the church, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. We're in a fight. We're in a war. But as long as we stay on God's side, as long as we can come together as a family, as long as we can stay unified in an agreement with the word of God and not compromise that word, we're in the game. When God decides to take us, he will. We have no say about that. But until then, the Bible says in verse 16, look how David's attitude changes Oh, Lord, truly I am thy servant. (laughs) I like that. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. And thou hast loosed my bonds. Now he feels victory. He experiences victory. He knows victory. He knows who came off the bench. Praise God. It wasn't a second string quarterback. Praise God. It was the third person of the Trinity. It was the power of the Holy Ghost. And when you rely upon that power and not be dependent upon yourself, when you transfer your dependency upon God for his dependency, God will work a miracle. Amen. We stay stuck. Because we stay dependent upon ourselves. Come on, preach. And we fight. And we become abrasive. And the enemy gets in there. And the demon spirits line up and say, Gotcha. Gotcha. David knew his identification. Do you know yours? Come on. What's your operating image? What's your operating image? Who are you? You got to ask yourself a question. Who are you? How do you answer that question? Who are? Who am I? Who are you? Are you some broken down car on the side of the road? Are you some has been? Who are you? You have to identify who you are this morning. Amen. Come on. 
servant of God? The highest calling upon the face of the earth? It's not the president. It's not the queen of England. It's not some premier or some king in a foreign country. You're the man or you're the woman that is now the ambassador for the kingdom of God to show the world that no matter what comes my way, when trouble comes my way, Jesus will fix it. He'll do something. He'll bankrupt heaven if he has to. I said he'll bankrupt heaven if he has to. And he says this as I close. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Can you imagine if we had a prayer meeting and we didn't ask God for one thing? Well, we just came to give God praise and thanksgiving. The heavens would open. You see, when you come with praise and thanksgiving, you're saying to God, I have gratitude. I'm not asking you for nothing today. I don't have one prayer in my bone or one prayer in my soul. All I want to do is love you, God. All I want to do is praise you. It's like loving another human being, not asking for anything in return, just wanting to love that person. Think about it. Just want to love that person. That's gratitude. And when we come to God with thanksgiving and praise, we're saying to God, thank you for loading down my wagon. Thank you for waking me up. Thank you, God, for giving me the gift of life and the blessings of the Lord. Even though sometimes, God, trouble comes my way. I will never forget you're the God of grace and mercy and you are the God of generosity. He says one more time the same verse that he said before. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of his people. He's saying, I will keep my promises to you, God. No matter where I go, I'll be that witness. No matter where I go, I'll be that light. No matter where I go, I'll be that salt of the earth. And I'll be the light that you desire for me. And in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. What's God saying this morning? No matter what the storm is that you go through. We've all been through them. We'll go through some more before it's over. The world is hemorrhaging right now. I said the world is hemorrhaging. Geopolitically, geoeconomically, it's hemorrhaging. And God is trying to speak. He's trying to get people's attention. As churches are closing, as ministers are leaving the sacred desk, as people are quitting on God, as the church of none, N-O-N-E, young people, no interest in God, no interest in church. I said to my wife this morning, it doesn't matter if you were the president. It doesn't matter if you're the greatest athlete in the world. It doesn't matter if you're one of the most famous people in history. Because when you close your eyes for the last time, God really don't care if you were the president. God don't really care if you were the king or the queen. And God don't really care if you scored 30 points a game. What he does care about is, what have you done with my son, Jesus? That's all he cares about. What have you done with my son? Because you know what? As I said to my wife, there's no fear about eternity anymore. People have no fear. What are they thinking if they die without God? If they die without God, what are they thinking? Where do they think they're going? When the Bible tells us explicitly where they're going. It's hard to penetrate the walls of a heart. It's hard to penetrate the soul of a man or the spirit of a woman. And only God's spirit, Holy Spirit, can draw you to the well of living water and show you your need for Jesus. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. We need Jesus. Every child, even a child knows when they're doing wrong. A child knows when they're lying. A child knows when they're 
taking a cookie that they're not supposed to be taking. They know when they're stealing. Because in the midst of their act, even when they're two or three years old, they look around. Because God gave them a conscience. God is saying something to us this morning. Let's not die. Even though we go through difficult moments, we have him, we have each other, if we allow each other to love each other, and if we keep the unity of the faith, one spirit, one baptism, one faith, we can overcome whatever the enemy throws at us. Are you hearing what the pastor is saying this morning? Or more than that, are you hearing what God is saying to us this morning? God bless you, and thank you for listening.